Welcome to Hope for All Nations, a podcast by Calvary Worship Center Broadcast. We pray that God's word will continue to be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path, and that as you spend time in the presence, you will be abundantly fruitful. Praise the Lord. Glad that you were able to make it this morning. Either you, you guys are really have big faith or you are crazy. I think, I think it's, a, it's a former, right? We are glad that you could make it um, this morning and to hear the word of God and to worship him. Um, as you continue, a lot of us have been sick all week and um, this body of mine is really wearing down. But I've got a doctor in the house, so they will look after me. Like I said, if I fall down, it's not because of the spirit, please. I, I, I need your help. Come, come get me up. Come get me up. Today, we continue our discussions on the seven longings um, of the human heart. And we are on the sixth longing. And next week, we are going to finish up. Today, we are going to talk about the longing for purity. The longing for purity. If you like to pick inside your note, inside your bulletin, we have got the notes to help us to follow along as we go. We have been talking about the restlessness that God has put within every human heart to help bring us close to him and also to fulfill our destiny. We've said that those restlessness in our souls can never be fulfilled either by money, sex, alcohol, entertainment, nothing else will fulfill that longing. We are going to use the same outline that I've used in the, in the past, the pain, the pitfall, and the provision. So let's start with the pain. What is, when I talk about the pain, I'm talking about the longing, the deep cavity within our soul. There is something within the human heart that resists, that detests the ugliness of sin. There's something within every soul that is very uncomfortable with the stain of sin in our heart. It's because God created us this way. God created us never to be comfortable with sin in our body. And as long as there is stain in our body, we are going to feel restless. We are going to feel uncomfortable. And God will make sure that you do. In the Bible, there's a, a term for it. It's called conviction. God created you to have a conviction for sin and to long to come before the living God. God has created us to be attracted to purity. We are created to be attracted to righteousness. Matthew chapter 5 verse 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is what you've been created for. They shall be filled. That longing, that thirst is meant to bring you to God. Who can only fulfill it. Sometimes we don't know what that restlessness is. So we, we look to other things and we look for other, to other people. Some of you might have come across the, the hymn by James Nicholson, Whiter Than Snow, written 1872. Some of you cannot remember this um, Facebook generation, but we've stopped singing hymns. But this is one of the great hymns ever written, I believe. He said, Lord Jesus, I long to be perfectly whole. He's just expressing the longing for purity in every human soul. I want thee forever to live in my soul. Break down every idol. Cast out, 
every fall. Now watch me. I shall be whiter than. What a day to, to sing this hymn. Whiter than snow. You know. Back in Africa. We, 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 we used to sing whiter than snow. And I had no idea what snow was. But we sang it anyway. But we knew it was something very pure. Something very white. Now you look outside. And you look at. The weather, and you look at the, how white snow is, and you can understand when Isaiah talks about, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. In Romans chapter 7, Paul also begins to wrestle with this discomfort within our soul, this restlessness. He said, I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. There, there is a struggling going on. I'm feeling very restless. I want to be pure. I want to be holy. But there's something within me that is drawing me away. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death. There's a cry out unto God for purity. There's a cry out. There's a pain in our heart to be whole. To be set loose from the bondage of sin. God created us in a way that we will never, never be comfortable in sin in this body. It's like the, the automaker. When the automaker, when you pick up your brand new BMW or VW from the, from the dealer, it's pure. And there's something called dashboard. Where, where when something is wrong with the vehicle, it will tell you your tire pressure is low, your 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 Fuel is low. You check your battery. Check your... What else did you check? Check your oil. Check. It's telling you something is not right. And God created it in such a way that when something is not right in us, we got to check the dashboard, which is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says something is not right. God created us never to be comfortable with sin. I'll tell you, when we do, what happens to us? In Matthew chapter 5, I want to take a moment here. I want to look at this scripture very carefully. It said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. If we are going to know God, if we are going to experience God, we got to move in the realm of the longing for purity. If we are going to fulfill our destiny, like a vehicle, if a vehicle is going to perform to its optimum um, that the, uh, the dealer or the manufacturer made it. That car has to be pure. That tire pressure has to be just right. If we are going to become everything that God has created us to be, we got to be pure. I was trying to find a way to avoid using the grip. God, I've been telling our brothers not to use that, but I couldn't avoid it. So forgive me for using the G word, all right? That, the Greek word for pure is cataros. Purity is from where we get the medical term catarize. Now you need to understand that when, when the doctors or medic, medical team talk about catarize, they talk about the process where our body cleanses itself from fluids from the body. It needs to purify itself. There's a process where the body cleanses itself. That's the word. The Bible, when the Bible talks about blessed are the pure in heart, when the Bible talks about blessed are those whose heart is whole. It's about those who are in the process of flashing out. God knows that you're not perfect. 
God knows that you're going to be staying with sin. But you got to be in the process every day, every moment of flashing out, purifying. You will begin to identify dirt in the body. If you have a vehicle, you sense that the engine only is dirty, you flash it out. It's a process of flashing out the dirt from our system. Somebody, I believe it was Bill, um, who's this guy from um, yeah. Bill Bright? Calls it spiritual breathing. You breathe in and you breathe out. If you breathe in sin, you breathe out sin. Make sure that you, sin does not stay in your system because it will destroy your body. We are meant to live in a state of purification because the Holy Spirit will make sure that if there is stain in your body to remind you on the dashboard. You know what I'm talking about. The moment there is stain in us, God will remind us so that we can flash it out because we are created to walk in purity. Why don't we do that? Now, this brings us to our second point, the pitfall. You and I know that we know that we have conviction. We do experience that, but many times we don't respond to it. I sometimes don't respond to it, and sometimes we don't respond to it. In John chapter 16, we are told the role of the Holy Spirit. When he comes, talk about the Holy Spirit, he will convict the word of his sin. That's the role of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit will make sure that you are always in tune with purity. When sin comes to your life, the Holy Spirit will convict you of sin and of God's righteousness and of coming judgment. In other words, the Holy Spirit will say, you better cleanse your body. Cleanse it. Flash out. Live a holy life. And it also reminds you there are consequences when you don't do that. It reminds you of sin, of righteousness. This church is getting quiet. Please, I need you to say amen. I told you I'm not feeling well. Amen? Amen. Of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. The worst sin is that it refuses to believe in me. And the Bible continues, verse 9. Are you with me? Righteousness is available because... Okay, so you stay right there. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father. And you, you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. The rule of the Holy Spirit is to do two things in this world. Convict of sin. Convict of righteousness. And convict of judgment. In other words, there is a day of accountability coming. We can't just live carelessly all the rest of our life. God has created you. It's like a vehicle as well, if, if, if you may. If you allow your vehicle, you don't change your oil, you don't put gas in the car. One day the car will just come to a stop. And you start the car and say, when was the last time you changed your oil? Mm, 2001. You can't get around it. The vehicle is made such, such a way that it will purify itself. The oil has to be changed. The, the battery has to be replaced. The, 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 what else? Come on, guys. You know what I'm talking about. The spark plugs. You know what I'm involving? Tune up. So the car can perform very well. You need to come to a spiritual tune up. And the Holy Spirit will make sure that you are tuned up. But you have to respond to it. You have to respond to it. How do we respond to conviction? Many of us. Let me tell you one. We respond to conviction through self-righteousness. Somebody says self-righteousness. Now, if you need a oil change, some people think they can do all by themselves and they mess it up. I have seen people try to change oil and they have not, they have not done, done a good job. You have to go to the mechanic who is a specialist. If your car is telling you in the dashboard or something is wrong, you go to the dealer, you go to the expert. But many of us, we don't do that. We try to fix it ourselves. When you try to fix your own sin problem, the Bible calls it self-righteousness. 
it began way back to the garden. Let's go back there again. Genesis chapter 3 verse 7. At that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt ashamed at their nakedness. They realized they've sinned. They realized that something wrong with the dashboard. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Do you see that? And the, next, and the Bible says this, that when God realized that, he came, he came to the garden with them. When they realized that they were naked, they decided to do something about it. We'll cover ourselves. We'll do, we'll perform, we'll find our way back to God. You know, we've made a big mess and I'm, all of us, I'm sure you've done it. When you were a kid, you created a mess and you're trying to cover up and you end up making it worse. And we do that all the time. You know, you spread a milk and you're trying to clean it up and it becomes worse. The carpet, you have been there, you've been there. When we try to cover our own nakedness and our own shame, we don't do a good job. That's why we have so many religions in the world. It's man's attempt to solve the sin problem. So we create different religions and say, this is the way to do it. I know you have issues. I know you have restlessness within your soul. I know there's something not wrong, something wrong with your dashboard, but this is the way to do it. So we have Islam, we have Hinduism, we have Buddhism, we have all this, even New Age. Everybody's trying to help us to fix that problem. Religion is man's attempt to fix the problem. That's why Christianity cannot be considered a religion. Christianity is God's attempt to fix our problem. Because when we try it, we will never succeed. In Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, the Bible makes it clear. We are infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteousness, these, they are nothing but filthy rags. Our righteousness as filthy rags before God. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall. And our sins sweep us away like the wind. We can't do it. Some of us have even ever since that we became Christian, we have been trying to, to make our way to God ourselves. You can't make your way into the heart of God, into righteousness. The Bible says your righteousness will not do it. You got to come to God. The second attempt we do, like Adam did, is we hide. Adam covered himself with leaves. The second thing they did is they hide. They, they were hiding. Genesis 3 verse 9 says, Then the Lord called to man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walk in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I command you not to eat? The moment that they realize that they have sinned against God, you see, brothers and sisters, sin always, sin will always separate us from God. But the grace of God draws near. When we sin against God, the person that we have to run to is God. But they were running away from God. And that's our mistake. We try to hide from God who can help us. There's no point trying to hide from God because he knows everything. You can hide your sin from your husband or your wife or your friends or your school teacher or from your pastor. You can we, we are good at hiding. Ever since the time of Adam and Eve, we have been running away from ourselves. We have been hiding. We have been hiding because we feel ashamed. We have been hiding from God because we feel, we feel our nakedness is exposed. But that's one person that we must come to. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, the Bible makes it clear, there's no creature hidden from his sight. When God asked Adam, where are you? It wasn't because he didn't know where he was. 
It wasn't like I've told you before, a question for which is geographical location. He knew where Adam was. He was asking where he was spiritually. In fact, David, you remember, tried to hide from God. He said, where can I hide from you? If I go to the depths of the ocean, you are there. If I go to the heavens, you are there. Give up. We all hide. We, we hide from church. We, we hide from God. Our society is hiding from anything that smells like Jesus. We don't want Bible in the school. We don't want prayer meeting in the school. But we, somebody can come and teach us yoga. Yeah. When you go to your boss and say, you know what? I would like us to, to start a Bible station. No, no, don't bring religion here. But somebody can come and teach us new age stuff. Anything but Christ. We have been hiding, and the world has been hiding. When they see church, they want, they want to come anywhere close to church because they don't want to be exposed. Because we know deep within our heart, we, we, there, there's a deep need for righteousness and purity. We can't hide from his sight. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. How do we respond to the conviction, self-righteousness, we hide? Or even worse, rebellion. I know I'm being convicted. I don't care. That's where the world is. That's what even Christians, some Christians are. Romans chapter 2 verse 4, 4 to make it very clear that we all have conscience. Everybody, even the non-believer have conscience. Let, let's not kid ourselves. Even Gentiles, the Bible says, who do not have God's, God's written law, show that they know this law when they instinctively obey it even without having heard it. How do they do that? They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience. Conscience is that barometer, is that, you know, stuff that God put in every human soul that can tell us about right and wrong. Right and wrong. Anytime you, you are born, you have this conscience. Right or wrong. That tells you this is right, that tells you this is wrong. You don't have to tell, tell the child that. They know that God has imbued Within our soul, a sense of right and wrong, we call it conscience. And thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. Now, hold on a moment. There are three types of consciences, okay, if I may. There's a good conscience. you find that in Acts chapter 23. And all of us are meant to have good conscience. When your oil changes on top of, on the line, you are, you are filling your gas and you are changing your battery. You are doing all your spark plug and you have a good conscience. You will receive conviction. When you do something that is wrong, you feel it. You know what I'm talking about? You used to feel it when you did certain things. When you even told a small lie, you feel it. You have a good conscience. Some of us now, we lie. We don't feel it anymore. Your conscience Good conscience. Then there's defiled conscience. Defiled conscience, you find in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Actually, Titus chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. Defiled conscience is when you have tricked your brain or you have tricked your conscience to accept good as bad and bad as good. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. Do you know that you can deceive yourself? The Bible calls it self-deception. When you continue to do something that is wrong and wrong and wrong, you come to a place where you come to convince yourself that it's not that bad. Oh, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, come on. I have been there. Don't look at me like holy angels. I have been there. You have been there. You try to convince yourself that it is not as bad as it is. Your conscience is getting defiled. 
you can never disagree with the Bible. Oh, well, maybe Paul really never meant it. You know, the time when the Bible was written, they didn't have the full knowledge. Uh, they didn't understand the kind of lifestyle we, we are living through. You see, we, we, you know, God didn't know that, you know, we, 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 we got to live together. You know, these days things have changed. You know, those days, you know what? It's okay. It's okay. God understands the five conscience. And then there's the worst of it. The worst of it is either seared or dead conscience. Where you come to a point where you don't receive any conviction at all. In Romans chapter 1, the Bible says God gave them up. When you get to that place, when God said, I'm not even going to bother. It's a very serious place to be. If the children of God can be in that place, where your conscience is dead, you commit sin and you don't feel anything anymore. You know, you can gradually get to this place. See, the Holy Spirit being a gentleman will convict, will convict, you rebel, will convict, you rebel, you convict. One day, stop convicting. That's why the Bible says, do not grieve the spirit, do not quench the spirit. If you grieve the spirit, if you grieve the spirit, one day he will pack his bag and luggage and all his shoes and whatever, and he'll be gone. Don't deceive yourself. There's a place you come to where you realize God no more is welcome in your body. It's a very dangerous place and you don't want to be there. In Hebrews, he talks about that place. Hebrews chapter 6, day where a place where a person gets to a place where there's no more sacrifice available for the person. Because you can only receive sacrifice when you confess. But when you don't have conviction, there's no repentance. And when there's no repentance, there's no cleansing. And you don't want to be in that place. That's why, oh, come on, child, don't get so quiet on me. When the Holy Spirit convicts you, repent and turn away. Because over and over, you don't want to get to a place where you have seared conscience, where you continue to do the same things. And you, because you don't feel convicted anymore, doesn't mean it is right. It simply means that you have become adaptable to the sin. Rebellion. Self-righteousness, we hiding or rebellion. May God help us. What's the response? What's the provisions? Let's come to the, the final part. How does God deal with this? This whole idea of continually living a life of purity. First, there is God's part. God makes sure that he makes the excellent provision. And the provision he has made is the blood of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, there is nothing like the blood of Jesus. Because God is so holy, he cannot stand sin. Your sin separates God from us. Sin condemns us, but the blood of Jesus Christ draws us. We don't understand the power of the blood until we understand the holiness of God. Because of the holiness of God, we are meant to die. There are consequences to sin. God told Adam, the day that you shall eat of this fruit, you shall die. There are consequences to sin. There are still consequences to sin. Like I've told you, for every time we sin, we die. But the blood of Jesus Christ has made, brought us closer. Instead of running away from the judgment of God, the blood of Jesus Christ brings us closer. We can come run to God when we have sinned because the blood of Jesus can make that availability to us. Are you understand what I'm saying? Let me show you in a moment. Hebrews chapter 10, Paul puts it this way very clearly. So dear brothers and sisters, we can come boldly. 
you don't understand the, the power of that word boldly until you understand the holiness of God. We can come boldly. You cannot come boldly when you're in sin before God because you got to be afraid. Bible says it's a consuming fire. But we can come boldly and enter into heaven's most holy place. You see, in the Old Testament, the most holy place can only be entered by one person, one person alone, the high priest, and only once a year. He has to cleanse himself. He has to make sure that he's really pure. And they have to tie a rope around his waist so that in case he dies before God, who is going to pick him up? Anybody that goes in the water or die. So they tie a long rope to the high priest when on the day of atonement when he gets there. So in case he dies, they can drag him out from the rope. Only one person. But the Bible says when Jesus died on the cross on Calvary, the curtains in the holy place was torn into two. God is saying, come boldly. I can come boldly. The Bible says, because... Somebody said the blood. the blood. Although I'll mess it up. Although I know I have blown it up. I can get up and go to my father because of the blood. Amen. It said by his death, Jesus opened a new and a living, life-giving way through the curtain to the most holy place. And since we have a high priest who rules over God's house. Oh, I love this. Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be running away from God, hiding from God. But we can come and trust him because the way has been opened for us because of the blood. You couldn't do that in the Old Testament. The blood has opened the door for you and I to come boldly. When Jesus died on the cross, there are three things that was achieved as far as sin is concerned. Number one, I want to write this down. The penalty for sin was taken care of. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. When Jesus died, he dealt with the penalty for sin. You are supposed to die because of your sin. But because of Jesus Christ's gift, you can no more die. You have been paroled for good. He also deals with the pollution of sin. Our spirit, our soul has been evaded by the virus called sin. But the Bible says there is power in the blood to wash and clean you whole. Oh, you don't understand what I'm talking about. The blood of Jesus Christ is more powerful than any detergent you can ever think of. The Bible says that despite the evasion of sin, the pollution of sin in our spirit, in our soul, in our body, when Jesus comes, he will wash us clean. Though your sin be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. First yes, oh John 1 9 says, if you confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us and to cleanse us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The power of the blood. It doesn't matter. Some, I meet certain people who say, Pastor, you don't understand. I've sinned too much. There is no sin that Jesus Christ cannot cleanse. There's no stain that the blood cannot wash away. It doesn't matter how much you think you have committed. He invites you to come. That is why God himself has to die. 
It takes a pure blood, an innocent blood, a blood that has no impurity, that can take care of our sin, both in the past, in the present, and in the future. That's why you're going to understand, my friends, when John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God, that takes away. Those who heard those words were shocked because it has never happened. Sin are atoned for. They are never taken away. They are covered. When you sin, it covered because the blood of bulls is not enough to take away your sin. But when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he had a revelation. And he said, behold, God's love, that takes away. And so in Hebrews, he can come boldly and say, your sin will I forgive and remember them no more. Why can't God remember your sin? Because it doesn't exist. And that's why the Bible uses the word justification. Justification is just as if you have not sinned. When God cleanses your sin, he looks at you as if you've never, never committed a sin in your life. You are so clean. There's no record. I mean, there is no record. That's the power of the blood. He deals with the pollution of sin. He cleans you whole. And there's no trace of stain in your body. And thirdly, it deals with the power of sin. Not only does it deal with the penalty that you are, you are, you are headed for hell. God said, reverse, you are, you are now heading to heaven. He deals with the police. He cleanses you. also deals with the power of sin. He knows that you live in a sinful world. And many of us can live under the bondage of sin. The blood of Jesus Christ breaks that. I am here to tell you the blood of Jesus Christ breaks that. The Bible says, he that committed sin is a slave to sin. But the slave does not live in the house forever. If you're a slave, you can't live in a house forever. But whosoever the son shall set free, shall be free indeed. I am here to tell you, I don't care what gospel you have heard. I am here to tell you that the blood of Jesus Christ is powerful enough to break the yoke and the shackles of sin in your life. He can do it. In other words, what I'm telling you, that Christ did not just come to cleanse us and to free us and make us ready for heaven. He said, no, you can overcome. The blood of Jesus Christ is powerful enough to turn things in your life. That whereas you are heading towards sin and unrighteousness and vanity, God is able to turn you around. He can. If he cannot, then brothers and sisters, we are wasting our time in church. God can truly set us free if we let him. And you say, Pastor, but how do we do it? This is where we come in our part. This is our part. God has made everything available for us. We just have to take advantage of it. That's the problem with many of us, the church. The inheritance of the saints is not being taken care of. I I was listening to the news. I believe it was CTV News two days ago. The government has made so much grants to help people through their children's education and also help through people through their old, old, old age pension. About $1 billion has not been claimed. Because some of you are not putting money aside for your children. That money is still being, it's not being used. It is exactly what happened in the church. God has made so much inheritance available for us. We don't take, a, take advantage of it. There are Christians still living under bondage of sin. There are Christians still living under fear. Christians still living under anxiety. Christians still living under bondages. And God is saying, I have set you free. On the cross when he said, it is finished. Finish, Kabisa. It's done. Why are we not claiming that inheritance? The first thing we need to do is to return. Somebody say return. I want to tell you, this is not a time to be running away from God. It's a time to be running to God. Because of the blood. 
we can no more run away. I understand why you were running away because of the judgment of God. But the blood has come. We can run away to God. And the prodigal son realized it very quickly. The Bible says he came to himself. You know, he has been hiding from himself. We have been hiding from ourselves. But when he came to himself, he said, I will return. I can no more hide from my father. I will return to my father. We need to return. Brothers and sisters, you need to expose your nakedness to the one who only can clothe you. See, Adam was running out from God, but God only is the person who can provide the exact clothes that they need. Not the leaves, but skin of an animal. He's the one who can provide something permanent for your nakedness. I know we are afraid to be vulnerable to God, but God is the only one who can deal with our vulnerability. I know we are afraid to expose your sickness to God, but God is the only one who can heal your sicknesses. See, when you are desperate and you need healing, you go to the doctor's office. And John did that to me recently. I've had some rashes on my body and he came to my office and said, take your clothes off. He actually did. He told me to take my clothes off. You need to see the rashes. Brothers and sisters, I had to. I was desperate. I was having rashes all over my body. He needs to see it. I could say, well, Dr. McClay, I respect you very much, but you know what? Sorry, I can't do it. Can't you find another way? He said, God will take your clothes off. You got to trust God with your nakedness. When you are in the, in the, uh, in the labor room and the, the, the male doctor is trying to deliver your baby, you cannot go and say, doctor, w- will you mind turning your eyes as you deliver the baby? <laughs> Have you ever heard somebody say that? You want your baby. It doesn't matter whether your wife is naked or not. You just want your baby. I am, I'm here to tell you there's no point hiding your nakedness God has a solution I came across um, a quote by Bishop Jakes and in his book Naked and Not Ashamed it's a great book this is what he said. said don't be afraid to reveal what God longs to heal we are naked before him in the same sense that a man sprouts naked on the operating table before a surgeon the man is neither boastful nor embarrassed. You understand that? Do you have the next one? For he understands that his exposed condition is a necessity of their relationship. The man's comfort lies in the way without to restore order to any area that may be in disarray. When you go to see your doctor, there's nothing to be embarrassed about. If your doctor has to see your breast, got to see your breast. If you're having pain. Many of us, we are running away from God because we are afraid to show our nakedness. We are afraid to expose our condition. But you know what? He already knows. He created you. It's like when my little six-year-old said, Dad, will you mind? I'm, I'm giving my privacy. I change your diapers. Amen. Six years old. Not before you come in. I change your diapers. All right, all right, close the door, knock again. No, I'm not ready yet. Come back. And that's exactly what we do with God. He created us. Every body part you have, he put it in there. He knows even before you sin. He knows your vulnerability. He knows your struggle. Why are you running away? Why are you so afraid to come and naked and say, God, I know my situation. 
I have sinned against you. God, I cannot help myself. Lord, I'm ashamed of myself. Lord, I do these detestable things. And we come to God confessing something that we are confessing halfway because we are hoping that God doesn't know the, the rest. He knows it. He knows it when your thoughts were being formed before you sinned. He knows it when you were calculating to go that place. He knows it all. And that is why he continues to convict you. He is convicting you because he knows you are struggling. You got to return. Secondly, you and I, we need to repent. He said, I will return and go to my father. And I will say to my father, father, I have sinned against heaven and earth. Some of you might not realize that, I mean, even doesn't matter how close we are to God. Many of us, we have problems saying, I'm sorry. I mean, you talk to wives and husbands, they will tell you. Some of us will do everything but say, I'm sorry. I know some people have, and then I read some people, it's very easy for them to say, I'm sorry. Even before you open them, oh, I'm sorry. And they can say, I'm sorry so much, you don't want to believe them anymore. <laughs> oh, can I get a witness? <laughs> and then there are those of us, you know, like I had that problem when I got married. Like, it, you can't get me to come from my mouth. I will do everything for my wife. I will wash the dishes. I will do everything. Say, I am sorry, but she doesn't get it. And she's still upset with me. I said, can't you see? I watch the dishes. I did that. I cook for you. Can't you say I'm saying it in different ways? And let it come from your mouth. I can't say it. <laughs> oh, can I get a witness? <laughs> now you understand my pain. Those words are just... He <sighs> said, I'll go back to my father and I'll say, God, my father, I'm sorry. That's what repentance means. To confess. David is a man after God's heart. But David also had a problem of saying, I'm sorry. Do you realize that when David sinned against God, do you know how long it took him to say, I'm sorry? A year. He sinned against, against God, had sex with Bathsheba, killed her husband, and he just refused to say, I'm sorry. When that child was born, that came up from adultery, God sent Nathan to, to David and to tell him how, how disappointed he is. Now, this is a man after God's own heart. And we all, we all get to that place where we know we've done something. We refuse to give up for one year. And so, if I, when you go and read Psalm 38, where David talks about his stubbornness, he said, when I refused to confess, my bones was cold and I'm dying within me. The conviction was upon me. The hand of God was upon me, but I'm doing it. Adam David felt he has done something so horrible, he doesn't even want to bother to come to God. Or he was just being just rebellious. And we all get to that place. But David, in Psalm 32, gets a revelation for all of us. And I love that. Now, once he confessed, once the prophet came, once he confessed, he began to experience and knew what, what confession brings. He said, what a joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those who, whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refuse to confess my sin, this is David speaking, my body wasted away. He's been there. And I groan all day long. You are not meant to stay in sin. God's hand will be heavily on you. For a year, he groaned, he refused. 
Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. How stubborn can you be, David? But we are all like David. We've been there. And I groan all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy upon me. My strength evaporated like water in the, the summer heat. And then he, he continues. Do you have the next verse? Or that's it. Oh, my. I miss a verse. But it, then he talks about when he begins to confess the joy that that brings. Blessed are those whose sins are forgiven. Repent. It doesn't matter how deep that sin. And I know we've all been there. Sometimes you think yours is bigger than it is an all-time sin. Mother of all sin. And I've heard them all. But it's nothing. It's nothing that God cannot forgive. What the devil likes to do is to keep you in that sin and make you say, you know what, this is so bad. This is, don't even open your mouth. You open your mouth, God will hear it. God will tell everybody, don't even bother to go to church anymore. That's a lie of the devil. Want to keep you in your sin. But run to God because of the blood. He will forgive you and cleanse you. And you remember them no more. And God will restore you back. Finally, we, we need to resist. When God has forgiven us, we can no more go back the same sin. We got to fight it. I know how I get into this situation. I'm not getting there anymore. For some of you, it's always start with a test message. Delete that person from your phone book. You have to identify your own vulnerability. You have to identify your own weaknesses. When I'm like that, I'm vulnerable. When I go to places like that, I'm vulnerable. When I'm with this person, I'm vulnerable. When I put myself in this situation, I sin against God. The Bible says when your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Identify what causes you to sin and fight it. And I mean, fight it even if it means you have to die. Hebrews put it this way. Let me close with this. Hebrews chapter 12. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. You know what? The Bible is saying, even if it means it will cost you death, die fighting. Why can you fight? You can fight because he's giving you the ability to fight. He provides the strength. He also makes sure that you are not tempted above what you can bear. He provided his grace. He provided his spirit. God has made everything available for us to able to look at sin right in the eyes and say no. In other words, brothers and sisters, and I'm ashamed to say this, we all do it. Every sin that we've ever committed, we all had the opportunity to walk away. Every sin that you have succumbed to, you had the ability to say no. No excuse. Say, well, after this one, even in the Gabriel couldn't have overcome. You were lying to yourself. The Bible says he makes sure that you are not tempted above what you can. In other words, when you face that sin, God knows you are able. That's why he allows it. And even that, the Bible says he will make a way of escape. I mean, God makes sure that he has done his part to make us live in purity. We have to do our part to stay on that path. He restores my soul. He leads me on the path of righteousness. He will lead you. Your job is to stay on it. Because there are distractions from all over the place. I pray that that deep longing within our soul can only be fulfilled by him. Now, don't turn him off. 
Blessed are those who test and hunger for righteousness. They shall be filled. Will you stand up with me? And let's pray. Longing for purity. Brothers and sisters, God knows, you and I, God knows. We can only perform to our full maximum if we walk in his purity, if we continue to flash out dirt and stain from our body. We can fulfill and experience God in his fullness if we walk on this path. Let's pray. I want to pray one prayer for you. God, may I never turn your conviction off. Because that conviction is your dashboard to remind you that the body has been tainted. That conviction is there to remind you that you are entering into sin zone. Don't go in there. Say, God, renew and refresh my conscience so I can hear you afresh and anew. Don't let any iniquity, no matter how small it is, to stay and become a defiled conscience in your soul. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Hope for All Nations, a Calvary Worship Center podcast. We pray that God's word will continue to be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. And that as you spend time in his presence, you will be abundantly fruitful. You are also most welcome to join us for our in-person worship services. If you are in Western Canada, we have locations in Surrey, BC and New Westminster, BC, as well as Calgary, Alberta. In Washington State, we have a location in Bellingham and a location in Ghana. You can find out more information at calvaryonline.ca. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life, and you shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.